Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Hello and welcome to the American Reformer podcast. I'm Ben Dunson, the editor-in-chief of American Reformer. And with me in the podcast is Josh Abatoy, who is the executive director of American Reformer. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about coalitions, about political coalitions uh, between different groups in America. Um, can Catholics and Jews and Protestants who are conservative, can they get along enough to, to form political coalitions? Uh, can there be the kind of anti-woke classical liberals in those coalitions? Uh, this is prompted by a really helpful uh, Twitter thread by the, the Jewish political philosopher Yoram Hazoni. Uh, he has, he, he's just recently written this thread about uh, James Lindsay. James Lindsay is, um, is a classical liberal, but he is anti-woke, anti-cultural Marxist, uh, and he's done a lot of work on that. Uh, a lot of his work on this is really helpful. I, I read his book uh, that was co-authored on critical theory, and I, I thought that was a, a very useful book uh, for someone like me who hasn't uh, studied that on my own extensively. I thought it was it was helpful. It it, it was clarifying. Um, and, you know, and I think opposing that sort of stuff um, is important. I think uh, he has done good work in that area. Um, Christopher Rufo is is doing really excellent work in that area. I don't even know, really. Rufo is one of those guys who doesn't seem to really wear his own um, personal convictions, like religious convictions and things on his sleeve. So I'm not really sure where he falls on on all of that. Um, but Lindsay has has been um, really like um, militantly, um, even just kind of railing against conservative Christians lately. And he, he, he seems to be like really terrified <laughs> of them. Um, so much so I'd say maybe even more terrified of them than he is of the kind of cultural Marxist uh, people he goes after. So I was wondering, Josh, if you could just kind of let us know a little bit more about what Hazoni was saying and kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, and <clears throat> maybe to say a little bit about what Hazoni was saying, we can like set the table and, and try to uh, explain, his, you know, uh, James Lindsay in his own words, but James's basic contention is that um, Christian nationalism is actually, it's not entirely organic, and he thinks it's actually sort of a sought-after development or evolution of ideology uh, that, that the woke wants. It wants, the woke wants a villain like Christian nationalism against which it can assert its, its power and contrast itself with um, he he calls this sort of the the Hegelian dialectic, the Hegelian process, right? So in the, in that scenario, if classical liberalism is your thesis, well, actually it would be wokeness is your thesis, and um, and Christian nationalism is is the antithesis, and they they actually he would say I think to some extent the the woke even subconsciously want Christian nationalism to exist. Um, 
you know, in, in contradistinction to their, to their thesis. And so he would say that conservatives who are Christian nationalists, and by the way, when we say Christian nationalists, this is very broad. I mean, this basically means Christians who want, you know, law to substantively reflect Christian morality. It, it would, it would pick up all of us. Right. I mean, with like, yeah, a lot of people who who don't call themselves Christian nationalists. He's not very uh, right. He's he's using a he's using precisely. a fairly broad brush, and he includes in it also like Catholic integralists. He includes Yoram Hazoni, who's an Orthodox Jew in it. So it's it's not you know, um, he really it's a, it's a stand-in for national conservatism. You know, uh, the the personalities associated there, people associated with the Claremont Institute, a wide swath of new right people who. Um, are extremely concerned about totalitarian leftism as expressed in the woke movement and are, you know, kind of having a lot of intellectual foment about what to do about it. He, you know, he wants to shut that down. He wants us to get back to classical liberalism. And so Yoram, uh, just uh, this morning, as of the day of recording, launched just a nuclear bomb of a Twitter thread. It, it really almost could have been an article, um, it should have been maybe, um, but you know, he, it's, it's it simp- simply put, it's uh, what's wrong with James Lindsay. Uh, why is he, why is he spending so much of his time attacking the right, his would be allies and, you know, and, and Yoram goes into it in quite a bit of depth. Lindsay is part, part of what Lindsay's doing is he's predict been predicting this for a while. He, he truly believes that the left is going to, um, that the left earnestly desires there to be some sort of martyr, some sort of instigating event um, where, you know, Christian nationalism can be ideologically blamed for an act of violence. And Lindsay says that this will be done and then it will be used to totally nullify Christianity in the public square. Um, And in order to avoid this fate, in Lindsay's telling what Christians need to do is essentially just lay off the social issues. Like all the, maybe the most extreme cases of, um, you know, maybe minors being transitioned or something like that. Other than those really extreme edge cases, Christians, you know, really shouldn't be talking about social issues right now. Um, Certainly not, you know, James has been going on quite a bit about trying to figure out if any conservatives might ever theoretically support sodomy laws and if they want, you know, if they want Lawrence v. Texas to be overturned. Um, he, he, wants, um, he wants Christians to adopt and say, you know, uh, you can have the LGB without the T. And um, Yoram points out, and I think this is really nice, but he points out, you know, part of what, what James is doing there is, is he's sort of saying, like, you know, if, if Christians don't follow my advice and then one of these events happens, like, they will, be, they will be rightly blamed for that violence. So, you know, in other words, you know, Lindsay, I mean, Lindsay substantively does not want to be part of a movement uh, that has great, you know, fundamental concerns about the sexual revolution overall. Yeah. He, he, and, and, and if, um, if there were one act of violence, you know, one gets the sense that Lindsay would just, you know, kind of go with a lot of other people right over to the left, um, because he's more afraid of, um, he thinks that, 
substantive Christian morality and law is actually like a graver threat than leftism. Yeah, no, that's pretty clear. Yeah, so so maybe that that sort of sets the table in a very uh, I th- I think the ba- the basics of of the thread. So right, and so I mean, if I if I understand him right, I mean, as Hazoni's putting this out there, which it seemed persuasive to me the w- the way Hazoni was was laying it out, Lindsay, he's essentially saying that if Christians push back in any sort of significant way against the sexual revolution beyond, you know, like you said, extreme transgender stuff, if they push back in any substantive way, whether that be, say, like a successful uh, boycott against Target or against Bud Light or something like that, if there's any real substantive pushback that that actually accomplishes something, um, then the the radical left um, is going to come down so hard on Christians and, and, and attack them so vigorously that they're going to be mm-hmm. basically wiped out and, and be unable to do anything. And, and when I, when I hear him say that, my, my response is like, if you push back against someone who is, is bullying you, I mean, just think about like back, back in elementary school, it, you know, if, if a bully is, is bullying you and, and you, and you defend yourself, yeah, they're probably going to also defend themselves from when you, when you hit back. Um, so it's not really implausible that they're, that the left's going to push back even harder if there's real resistance, because in the past they, they haven't had to deal with this. they they can just kind of like watch Christians sort of meekly, uh, accept it all, you know, wanting to get along with people and, and not wanting to be unkind and, things like that. And so if there's a real pushback, yeah, they're going to, they're going to push back. But and Lindsay's response is just let them, well, you know, it's, so it's, it's, let them lay down. Yeah. I mean, the, the Overton them. window of the, of more sexual morality has been moving leftward for like 50 years. Right. And this has been the conservative strategy for 50 years is basically harp about the extreme case, harp about where the, where the cutting edge of the Overton window has moved but constantly seed the ground, you know, otherwise taken in that movement. And so, so like it's, and it's a, it's a tactically, like it sounds like a great argument offhand, right? Oh, these, these liberals, they are so crazy. Now they're, you know, now they're talking about how like minors should be getting their, you know, should be getting uh, puberty blockers and, surgical procedures this is crazy they've gone too far this time we're going to harp on this one extreme and meanwhile we'll continue to kind of give away the rest of the farm um it but but it it, it, you know in theory it kind of sounds good it's like save your ammo pick your battles like be tactical be prudent um you know sure we can all agree that you know consenting adults can do what they want but you know we need to protect the kids like that all has a lot of like intuitive purchase, I think. Um, so, but, but um, you know, again, I think it's, 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 it's indistinguishable from the strategy that we've followed for 50 years, which has essentially been a losing strategy. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's slow capitulation um, on every point. And, and that idea that, you know, they've gone too far this time that hasn't worked out as a lot of people point out. You know, you think they've gone too far. They won't, you know, people will have had enough, but ultimately they can never go too far 
the only thing that will stop them is someone who stops them. I know that sounds uh, right. <laughs> kind of silly to say it that way, but the only thing that will stop them is something that can actually make them stop. I think we're actually starting to see that people are waking up and, and state legislatures are actually mm-hmm. doing things to make them stop, um, which is good. And, and he's kind of, we kind of realized that this isn't just going to stop on its own. Right. Um, someone actually has to do something that forces them to stop. And that's the only way to stop. But of course, when you force them to stop, when they've been plowing forward for 50 years without resistance, of course, you're going to you're, you're going to, I think, awaken the beast. Um, you're you're going to find even more vigorous pushback because they realize what's at stake. This is what you see with Gavin Newsom jumping on all of these things, you know, the Bud Light thing and then the Target thing. He every time he or, or the uh, the New College, Florida uh, situation, every time he sees successful pushback mm-hmm. from conservatives he latches on to that because he realized that's actually a genuine threat. Um, you know, we, we haven't been able to do that much in the past. And now to at least some limited degree, it seems to be happening. And I think they, they rightly recognize, well, we got to really come down hard on this. Um, but as a lot of people are also pointing out now, you know, Matt Walsh brings us out, um, the, the manipulate, the manipulation strategies, um, are increasingly not working for the left, right. um, where they say you're so evil, you're so e- wicked, uh, you hate people, you, you want people to kill themselves, and all these things. And people have woken up to that strategy of manipulation, and they just say, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to listen to you anymore because I know what you're doing. Yeah, and 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 it's gotten to so, the point too where it, it's the the there's an opportunity to actually take significant ground back. Because, yes, the left has gone very far. They're defending the indefensible. I mean, I don't, you know, this isn't fun stuff to talk about, but, you know, there's mainstream academic journals and others who are advocating for, like, a slow progression towards acceptance of um, what they now euphemistically call minor attracted persons. And and the, the analogy there is, like think about this in analogy in in analogy to what happened with sexual orientation. Um, you know, prior to the '70s, there were very of clinical ways of of talking about homosexuality, um, and it was deemed a mental illness and a you know, sort of defect. And the language starts to subtly change. You know, often um, as a predicate to the law changing, but you. You start to um, you, you take behavior, you take it from being deemed criminal, and then you move it over to being deemed a clinical issue, and then from there you you take it to um, actually it's normal uh, or perfectly fine and healthy, um, and and this is the trajectory that um, homosexuality followed. It's a trajectory that um, uh, transgenderism followed. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it kind of went from lewdness, obscenity that just would have been shut down by law enforcement to a mental health disorder to now, um, perfectly yeah. natural and healthy behavior. And so, you know, the, 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 um, this is not slippery slope fallacy. This is pointing out, right, right. This is pointing out the, the ends of the logic, uh, that's being employed. And, but, but because, because our because our, our people, not to say our people, but a broad swath of the country is recognizing this pattern, is recognizing there's not really, 
the, the, there's not really breaks on the sexual liberation train. And what we have now is an opportunity yeah. to kind of pivot from that back to saying, oh, you know, maybe human sexuality, maybe there's, maybe that's grounded in our nature. It's grounded teleologically. And there's actually, maybe there's a blueprint somewhere out there for how humans should behave sexually and socially that will actually lead to their flourishing. And I, I, it's an opportunity. I think it's a moment where like effective, bold, public apologies for traditional sexual morality. I think there's a huge market for it. Um, Ben, you and I were both at the national conservatism conference in Miami. Um, Joe Rigney, uh, bless that man, you know, got up on that stage. He's a, he's a devout conservative Christian, but he got up on that stage in a room full of political operatives, like wide, wide diversity of viewpoints, backgrounds, all of that. And he got up on that stage and, and laid out this case I think very, very clearly. Um, so I think, I think we, as a logical matter, you know, we have to recognize that um, if you accept LG and B, um, you will, you don't have a limiting principle to stop you from accepting T. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so really what, what we need to do is, is it's, it's hard it's swimming up current, but we need to we need to be doing that bold public defense of the traditional um, sexual morality. Yeah, there's there, there's no bottom to this. I think that's what people are waking up right. to. There is no bottom. It it will not. It's a train that will not stop on its own, um, and it, it's just it's not going to end because it has gotten too excessive. It's only going to end if if um, if well, it seems most likely in our case, if, if mm-hmm. state legislatures end it and make it in and and mm-hmm. follow through, you know, actually prosecute people and uh, and and force it to stop and and take bold action on that. And yeah, there's going to be a, a response. People are not going to like the fact that they they can't continue plowing forward anymore. Um, and yeah, they're probably going to respond. And we just need to be there. I think we need to be brave need to be trusting the Lord, seeking his, his help and, um, and recognizing that that that's probably going to come. Um, but that's, that's what happens when you push back, when you fight back, there's going to be, there's going to be increased resistance and, and, and not be terrified by this, this yeah. Lindsay, James Lindsay dialectic, where like somehow this apocalyptic, things going to happen when it just wipes us all out. Um, you know, it's like, well, don't, don't let that happen. Um, there, 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 there are a lot of people like this in, in America, like us, um, or even, you know, just more sane people kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the things that's really fascinating to me. And I, I don't, I don't really have an answer for this, but if I think about Lindsay and I compare him to someone like Elon Musk, I, I suspect the two of them are probably pretty similar as far as their their ideological views, their worldview, um, but Lindsay is is more afraid of conservatives actually winning. Elon doesn't seem to be that way to me, um, and and I wonder why that is. Um, you know, I, I had this theory that I was kind of developing for a while about different kind of levels of of cooperation in our country. And I sort of, I just thought you could start at the bottom, you know, what, what are, who is everyone that we can agree with on 
certain lower issues. And I think the James Lindsay of the world, I would have put them in that category. Um, I would have put like, you know, the, the, the Barry Weisses of the world in that category, probably Elon Musk, I would have thought of as being kind of in that category. I thought, well, we can at least agree with them to, to get CRT out of the schools and things like that. Okay. So we, we, we've advanced to that level. Well, then let's go up to other things that we care about as, as conservative Protestants. Um, we can probably join together with conservative Jews uh, like Hazoni and then conservative Catholics like Patrick Deneen and things like that um, on certain other moral issues, um, sexual issues in society. Um, there's probably going to come a point where we have to part ways with them as, as Protestants or certain things that we care about even more um, that maybe they wouldn't care about um, quite as much. Um, and, and so on. I, had, I had this idea. It's, it's starting to look increasingly implausible to me in some ways because of these things like Lindsay, where he's just he's so terrified of any sort of conservative success or, or Christian success in, in doing anything that would would influence our country in, in any sort of Christian way. Um, but then you do have the, the Elon Musk's who don't don't seem to be so so afraid of that happening. And I kind of I wonder what what would account for the differences. I don't I don't know the answer to that. It's also the case that I, I thought we could could collaborate a lot more with certain, you know, like the, the Catholic <laughs> integralists. And uh, that, that seems to be kind of falling apart, too. Um, they seem to be similarly um, fixated on certain idiosyncratic ideas that matter more to them than the kind of consensus that it looks like you could build. But then again, I don't really think they represent the majority of Catholics no. in America, even even conservative ones. So I think there's still more more that can be done. I don't know. My whole theory might be falling apart. But then again, with the, the, the Elon Musk of the world, it, it might still be possible. I don't know. I was wondering what you thought about that. Um, I, I guess, and, and, and you know, you're, you're inviting me to critique your theory, Ben. So let me have at it here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that theory is top heavy in the sense that it's, um, you know, look, our intellectual camp comprises, you know, two or 3% of the population. James Lindsay's intellectual camp comprises two or 3% of the population in a Catholic integralist. We're all, we're talking about a coalition of elite thought leaders in your, in your framework. Yeah. Um, which may or may not be necessary because part of it, part of it is, okay, that's all well and good. How many eggheads like us you get in the coalition, but then which of you or what message resonates with um, people who actually hold political levers of power. And you know, if, if, so for example, if we find that, if we find that um, our camp is able to influence uh, state policy and things like that without having to do ridiculous coalitional stuff by placating all of Lindsay's right. concerns, then, you know, maybe we're fine and we don't need him in the coalition. I mean, he, he clearly, he clearly thinks he has leverage and that he's a very desirable coalition member. And, I'm just. I'm actually just not sure that's the case. I think most of his audience are are social conservatives like us who are ready to follow more bold social conservative leadership, and and they and they probably started following him 
for the same reason that I did um, because of his anti-CRT stuff. And they like that um, and they can see the value in that. But um, he's, he's definitely taking a, a, a certain direction that maybe isn't going to yeah. be as popular. Yeah, I think that's right. And then similarly with the, with the integralists, and I like them. I like their critiques of modernity and, you know, there's, there's a lot of liberalism. There's a lot I enjoy about them, but there are some issues, you know, the, the fundamentally hostile posture towards the American founding. Um, and then the, uh, some of them are, are quite uh, sanguine about open borders and, and that sort of thing. Like there's some aspects in their project that are just not like deeply in tension with the Republican base. And do, do we need them in a winning political coalition? I don't think so. Because even most Catholic, even most conservative Catholics, are not integralist. I mean, their own Pope condemned integralism. So you know, um, yeah. you know, they, they're smart. They're interesting. They're great. But but I guess I, I guess my overall posture is um, to, to to your framework is you know let's test electorally what we need before we do too much to our coalition to try to include these more. Um, these characters who bring a lot of demands to the table. Um, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, this actually brings up an, another interesting thing uh, because if, if you look at what's really popular with the conservative base or, or maybe I should say conservative base, but then like sane people in the middle um, who aren't the, the James Lindsay's, but they're just normal people in America. Um, you know, what, what is resonating with them certain like school choice seems to be pretty mm-hmm. widely popular uh e- even on some people that kind of lean a little bit left um certainly a lot of centrists and and then people on the right um transgender stuff that seems to to be one of one of the ones um as well so there do seem to be certain things that that you could get uh, a, a pretty wide amount of agreement and actually accomplish things although there there seems to be this problem with a lot of the the big money it, on the right, uh, that they don't want these social yeah. issues still, you know, to, to dominate. Um, and uh, that's that it seems like that's going to introduce complications. Yeah, big money has gotten behind the school choice issue. Interestingly enough, that's one where Lindsay. Lindsay is not a fan of school choice. Uh, and, you know, I don't, to steal man his argument, I think his, I think it's basically that it accelerates the balkanization. It's, it's, it represents seeding territory. Conservatives are saying we're going to give up on trying to wield influence over the shaping of the curriculum generally. We're going to go to school right. choice, which is going to allow parents to opt into a whole menu of options. And it, it will facilitate the formation of ideological enclaves. Yeah, he's probably right, though, isn't he? I mean... <laughs> I, I, I think that's a fair. I think that's an interesting point. I, I, I that's a good one to engage with. I think my response would be, on the whole, public schools are totally controlled by our enemies in terms of the curriculum, the teacher training, and um, notwithstanding the fact that there's some great local schools and there's some really good faithful people, you know, in individual locations. On the whole, the system has a force to it that. Um, is very, very, will be very difficult to stop over like a 20 or 30 year time scale. And, you know, the, the, um, even if we accept that, you know, 
in school choice, there will be some small camps that go off and get even more radical liberal education than they already do. Um, the much bigger effect will be a ton of uh, Christian and conservative kids go get like a normal, healthy, basic education that might actually be a lot, it probably would be a ton closer substantively to like what kids learned for most of our history in public school. Um, and, uh, you know, in other words, we can't, we can't afford to wait, you know, 30 or 40 years for some long takeover the public schools institutional build. We're better off um, just pulling the plug on them, disempowering them, marginalizing them and, and feeding our people through um, alternatives that can, that can give the unvarnished stuff quickly. I mean, like, I, yeah. I think churches with, with changes in law coming in Texas and other states, you know, churches can now set up schools and get charter funding. I would love to see them get very aggressive about that and do that as a ministry and a mission. Um, you know, so that's, that's an exciting prospect for like immediate substantial social impact. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I, I think um, you've got so much up against you from curriculum you know, manufacturers to accrediting agencies to um, teacher colleges, you know, everything's kind of against you on that. Um, yeah, so that's that that's a, that's a, an uphill. Uh, I mean, that's it just it, sometimes it feels like it's just uh, too much of an uphill battle to go against that whole behemoth. Um, so, yeah, you know, with with bringing it back to to Lindsay, um, I, I mean, my, my, my chief takeaway in, in all of this is he may very well be right that if Christians really push back hard on social issues, there's going to be a, an even bigger pushback from from the radical left. But we just need to accept that, not be terrified of it, um, you know, keep doing things. I, I think that the Bud Light thing showed that pushback can actually work uh, because these companies, no matter what they want to do, they can't go out, you know, they can't lose all of their money and still exist. <laughs> well, and can, can we park the, I want to park on that really quickly. There's an interesting particularity about the beer industry that's allowing the, the Bud Light boycott to be successful. So a couple things, one, the beer industry supports, um, provides reports of beer sales every week. Hmm. So you get almost immediate feedback on whether the boycott's working. And then two, it's like a very fungible, easily replaceable product. Like you're not asking people to give up Amazon. Right. You're asking people to like reach for one beer instead of the other. And they're all at that tier. They're all, you know, um, pretty bleak, but, um, you know, so, so, oh, I'll reach for a Coors Light instead of a Bud Light when I go to the cooler. And then, like, you get to every participant in the boycott can go to a website or go on Twitter and see the results of their efforts every single week and see it worsening. It's, it's like, it's an amazing uh, dynamic, and it's, it's, it's one that's really interesting to study. So Target might not be quite as easy then um... – to, to see the impact necessarily. Right. Cause they have like quarterly financial reporting and things like that. It's, it's uh yeah, they could, they could, it would, uh, it would take a lot longer. They're, they're a harder boycott target for sure. Yeah. Well, they're, they're clearly concerned. Uh, you can see some of the, the things they're doing, 
I mean, you know, honestly, I mean, you'd be somewhat successful. It's hilarious to watch because, you know, they, they first do this and then they become somewhat fearful and then they sort of pull back just slightly, or at least they pretend to pull back slightly. And then the, the LGBT people go after them, you know, saying, oh, you're a bunch of cowards and, and they don't want that. So they've got both sides mad um, at them. I mean, it seems like the, to me, if I was, if I was the kind of person making these decisions, the obvious way out of this dilemma is avoid all of this stuff complete altogether from the beginning. Don't get yourself in a position where you, you're going to have this happen to you. So avoid those overt uh, sexual things of, of, of avoid these things that are going to cause conservatives to push back. So, but also at the same time, if you never start, then you're not going to be criticized by the, the left for having betrayed them as well. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you will be because you never supported them, but um, it could be that these companies just at least decide it's not worth it to get into this stuff. Um, and that would be something of a victory itself. Yeah. 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 Well, um, maybe to, to kind of bring this all uh, to a, to a head, just maybe ask what you think. Um, you know, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? I think that we're in a moment where we have like, let's just talk about it as individuals, as fathers, as members of a community and a society, we have hard lines. We have, we have red lines where, if society progresses in certain directions, we would find society to be an intolerable, intolerable place to even be and have our family. Like we have those red lines. Let's be upfront about that. Let's, let's convey, this is a negotiation. Let's convey to our counterparties that we're deadly serious. And there's a point at which we walk. We, you know, there's a point at which we do not, um, we, we're simply not interested in, in, um, in trading off, you know, compromises for political wins anymore. And we're at that point now. And so we need to make that clear. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Lindsay comes along, maybe he doesn't. I think if, if I'm right about how things are going to play out, I think Lindsay still ends up in the coalition and uh, just, you know, accepts a little bit tougher, um, more, more rigorous uh, Christian morality uh, as a better alternative to violent communism and anarchy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that is the decision, isn't it? I mean, decide what's worse. I yeah. Mean, obviously, we don't think that the Christian uh, thing is bad at all, but from his standpoint, what's worse? I mean, is it really is it really that hard? Like, I don't know. I I don't know what's going on in his brain that would make him think that pulling us back to what America has been for most of its history is actually the terrifying option rather than violent communist takeover. Yep. Yep. Well, Ben, um, I know we need to wrap here. So um, I want to thank our audience for their attention. Um, guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe to us. We're on YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, subscribe, leave a rating. That really helps. And always check out our stuff at AmericanReformer.org. Um, thank you for your time and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer.